This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to the show. It's a big one, by the way. Yeah, someone's feeling anxious. What the, I was about to talk about my our <laughs> guest. Well, that's a big one from our guest because of the... I don't know what I'm saying. Wow, actually. you had a sheer remote. I just had a brain fart. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> no, I I came into the studio today and I was like, you know, it's weird. I'm feeling anxious today, and it's weird. This is pretty normal to be anxious. Yeah, because we all deal with it. But I've had a good streak recently. Okay, good. So I've had such a good streak that now when it hits, I'm like. What? It's like be, having clean, clear skin. Yeah. And you suddenly get that one pimple and all you do is focus on it. Yeah. That's how it feels. But now you're trying to rephrase it and being like, oh, it's not anxiety. Well, it's anxiety, but like. So this is the thing. Yeah. All right. And try this out. Maybe this resonates for you. I'm I'm now kind of thinking about more of how I'm feeling in my body. Like, oh, I'm feeling tight in my chest. I'm feeling a little flutter in my heart. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, let me like be with that and see how that feels. Instead of creating the story of like, this is anxiety. My day is about to fall apart and go into a downward spiral. You see how like right. one thing can make you feel more connected and like connected to it versus one thing can make you want to like push it away. But what you're not saying is the fact that you blame the damn moon and the moon well, is tired of Well, then I said to Ryan, school. I said, well, you know, it is a new moon today so it could be that girl y'all need to stop blaming the moon for all y'all's issues give the moon a break we have to start paying the moon like reparations for all of the trauma we put the moon through it's true we put a lot we actually throw our trauma at the moon it's true the moon is like a like we're the parents and the moon's our child and we're like putting all of and projecting all of our energy on them it will last longer than all of us when the earth implodes the moon will be the only thing left laughing at us right so, as I mentioned earlier, we have a very special guest joining us on the show. Lauren Haregi from Fifth Harmony will be with us at 4.35 p.m. Pacific, 7.35 p.m. Eastern. She has a new EP out, her debut one, and she's independent. She has, she has a lot to talk about here, and it was a great convo, so stick around for that. It really was. It really, really was. I can't wait for y'all to hear. Well, let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. White House Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre debunked Fox News's Peter Ducey, who always has the dumbest questions, about the White House paying 450000 to undocumented migrant families separated at the border. You're saying that he would be perfectly comfortable settling with these families who broke the law to come here, but yesterday he said that's not going to happen. First of all, let's remember how we got here, how we got to a place where we're dealing with families being separated. This is coming from the last administration, cruel, inhuman, immoral, immoral 
uh, policies against 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 just people. It's separating children from their families, 18-month-olds, two-year-olds, five-year-olds from their families. That's how we got here is because of the last administration. Now, also today, activists with Sunrise Movement confronted Senator Joe Manchin this morning outside of his yacht on his way to the Capitol in protest of his opposition to the Build Back Better social spending bill. Manchin is currently the wild card for the bill. Democrats need him to sign off to include paid medical and family leave. They followed him to his car and then surrounded his car, too. And then there's all these pictures on social media right now. So we'll see if that made a difference or scared him away. That was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, my God. One of the housewives or former housewives spoke out against West Hollywood raising the minimum wage. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So I guess the only people allowed to have some money and like have a living wage are rich housewives. Because reality star Lisa Vanderbump urged West Hollywood City Council this week to hold off on raising the local minimum wage, prompting fans to bash the millionaire business owner online as greedy and out of touch. Here is what she had to say. I just implore you to really give this a lot of thought because I do believe if we raise the minimum wage now, it's going to be counterproductive. So despite the Vanderpump Rules star opposition, the ordinance, which raised the wage to 17, uh, 17.64 an hour, was actually eventually passed and now becomes the highest local minimum wage in the country. Amazing. Shout out to West Hollywood for that. Um, yeah. But Lisa then took to, Claire, uh, to Twitter because, honey, when I tell you the backlash was real, people were dragging her for saying, because she owns three businesses in we uh, in WeHo, which is like the known like gay strip, she has three restaurants, Pump Sir and Tom Tom, and so she's kind of just I mean bathing in money at this point. Um, and she took to Twitter to clarify her remarks, mm-hmm. saying she wanted the city council to postpone the vote and consider another approach to minimum wage. She said this quote: "No, let me be clear. What we proposed to the city council was not to discard or disregard the minimum wage. It was to approach it in a twofold manner." Uh-huh. She expressed that she hoped to delay the vote, quote, until restaurants can get back on their feet during this pandemic. So many have gone out of business and others are faced with major debts that may not I, survive. I do. So here's the thing. I do get that. I do get that. Like restaurants and hospitality businesses are not in a good place. She personally might be. But like. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There are people who don't won't even have half the money that these businesses have or these owners have. Yes, they are the owners are struggling, but they're not struggling to just simply like buy food or pay their light bills or find an apartment to to sleep in when these servers, these bussers, these bartenders are barely making money across industries, not even just hospitality. People are not making money and they are not they don't have any living wage. So yes, I get this, but also Restaurants should have been doing this in the first place. Yeah, that's not their I, fault. I, no, I agree. I think it's a it's a really challenging situation. But in the end, like I mean, prices are going to go up across the board. Like we're all going to have to pay more for our drinks and food. But I do feel better. Like I feel more uh, better being somewhere where people are being paid ethically. West Hollywood, shout out to you. That's your T report. I got more coming up next hour. Don't go anywhere. Okay. Well, Biden has been in office for one year. Can you believe it? So how has he done? And what does he need to do next to win over Americans? Over the year leading up to the midterms. Big boo. Yeah, that's next. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, I can't believe it's been a year since Biden was elected. It's crazy. Like, you know, voted and stuff. Right. I mean, for some, he wasn't elected. (laughs) (laughs) Still to this day. As, uh, you know, regular folks. It's who, so strange. Who uh, believe in the possibility that he was and trust it, he was, okay? But now, in that year, according to NBC News, a majority of Americans disapprove of President Biden's job performance, half give him low marks for competence in uniting the country, which is like, did the person before that do any better? Well, I think also the what we saw these uh, past, a couple days ago with the elections happening, uh, the mid, not the midterms, but the elections happening yeah. in certain places, like Virginia specifically, um. Yeah, Democrats were kind of really let down, and and I think they let Joe Biden down. If we're being honest, and I don't think it's a good look. Well, let's get into it. Political commentator Jackie Cobell joins us again. It's been a while. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I know it's been a beat. It's a pleasure to be back on. Yeah. Well, now uh-huh. you're officially a journalist from Columbia University. So <laughs> nasty baby. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yes, now my words are especially official. Exactly. Well, when you look back on the past year, how do you think Biden has done? Well, I think it's really like what you were saying, how the country is feeling. And I think, you know, when a president comes in, that president up until now, it has been all men. So I can say he is given sort of a grace period. Um, Biden was certainly given that. His approval ratings were, were fairly high, actually, leading and going into the summer. It does seem like things shifted both with the advent of Delta and also Afghanistan. And things sort of got a little wonky. And I think that's when it felt more chaotic to the American people, right? And one of the sort of promises was that the Biden administration would essentially be an antidote to the chaos of the Trump administration. And so I think what you're seeing is somewhat of a response to, well, hey, that was chaotic, but this isn't, you know, this also has had feelings or moments of feeling chaotic. So I think what the Biden administration really needs to do is just to, for, for them to ha- see their approval ratings rise, would be to, to instill confidence in the American people to say, no, 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 this is better than what we had and your life is improving, which speaking to Ryan, what you were saying, which is the Democrats to help Biden need to pass some bills, especially infrastructure and that, you know, this whole build back better plan. Yeah. And it's just really frustrating because it, it seems like, unfortunately, that Virginia had to happen to get all the Democrats on board and stop all of this unnecessary infighting. But I still am not convinced that, you know, a Joe Manchin and, you know, a, a Kirsten Cinema is going to get on the right page. It, it just doesn't feel that way. And honestly, it feels like Oftentimes, as a, what a lot of, you know, especially progressives think about the Democratic Party, it, it feels like Democrats are just like kind of easygoing. They don't really like put the same kind of intense energy down that Republicans do, even though it can be argued that Republicans do a lot. And unfortunately, it's unnecessary. But there's some energy where if they want something, they go after it and they get it right. And I sometimes feel like Democrats don't have that same uh, energy that is needed to kind of push things through. I think I think you're you're right that the Democrats and Republicans respond to different things, right? And so I think what you're seeing a lot of, you know, Monday morning quarterbacks saying basically is that, you know, critical race theory, especially in Virginia, was used as, as a tentative wedge issue, uh, you know, and we're going to see that in the midterms. Republicans are saying, hey, maybe maybe that worked a little bit. Great. Let me let me grab on to that. Um, so I think 
as we head toward the midterms, you're going to see that more and more. In terms of, you know, mansion and cinema and what, what they'll be up to, something to remember is that as much as we want our lives to change, you know, as fast as possible, politics is slow. It's a business of relationships. And so I think something to keep in mind, I do think the Democrats will eventually pass something, but it takes time. You're talking about one and a half you know, or $1.7 trillion. It's not a small amount of money. And it's the idea is essentially it's the modern day New Deal, in which case something like that probably should take time and, and likely and clearly will take time to pass to get it to a place where everyone, in this case of being the Democrats, can get on board. Um, but once it does, obviously the Biden administration is hoping that that will lead to some improvements in their poll numbers. Do you think Democrats need to hop on board when it comes to trying to shut down the critical race theory narrative and conversation that Republicans are really pushing for? Because honestly, I know that in Virginia specifically, they they say it's about the economy. And if they would have gotten that bill passed, it would have it would have probably helped Democrats succeed a little bit more. But I, I also saw that critical race theory is something that is really riling up, you know, I mean, white women and their families and white men in in specific areas, right? And I'm like, okay, what do Democrats need to do to to shift that narrative or get rid of it completely? I I mean, this in general often is a tool that is used, right? We've seen this throughout the decades using these sort of race-related issues as a vehicle to inspire certain people and their you know, attentions, as it were. But uh, so I don't think it's coming away. I think what, what Democrats, I guess, what it appears they, they are recognizing they need to do is reframe the narrative so that people actually understand what it is. Because if you ask people, well, what is, you know, CRT, critical race theory, most people don't actually have an answer for that. They're yeah. not clear. They just know that they think they should be for it or think they should be against it. But it's, if, like I said, ask anyone on either side, I would argue, very few people actually are grounded in what it really means. I think to start with, it's probably figuring out, hey, what are we supporting and how can we message this in a way so people actually understand it and are not, you know, quote unquote, yeah. afraid of it. Well, speaking of that, we're going to break down critical race theory and how Republicans have turned it into this winning electoral issue after this. But Jackie Copel, thank you again for being with us. Thanks so much. We'll be back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 
Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable, fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation. Find your next credit card or loan for a big purchase and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. CRT, otherwise known as critical race theory, has become the latest talking point in an electoral issue among Republicans. But do people even understand what it's all about? Saida Grundy is back with us, who I love, by the way, and I miss you. Child, Saida yes. is the go-to for all things knowledge. Exactly. The smartest woman I know. Um, she, she's an assistant professor of sociology and African-American studies at Boston University. Saida, let's get into this. Hey, y'all. Hi. Uh, all How right. are you doing? You know, it, we are Over good, it. I'm sick and tired of talking about critical race theory. <laughs> Because let's no seriously, I think critical race theory has been just used as a Republican talking point to create a moment to revise what actual American history is. And I would love for you to break it down. Is critical race theory actually being taught in these schools that are not college classes? I mean, unless your uh, four graders are in law school, no. I mean, unless they're learning tort <laughs> and crim law, and no, this is not a thing. But, you know, here's what I think we should put in context, because I think that your audience at this point is very familiar with how this is, you know, part of our sort of ecosphere right now. And they, you know, sort of just seen all the sort of smart hot takes yeah. on why critical race theory is a boogeyman. I want to put that in a little bit of a historical landscape for you all. So it may be really relevant to your audiences to remember that coming out of the 70s and coming out of particularly the McCarthy communism scare in which communism became a catch-all for Jews, for black people, for radicals, for artists, for, for queers, for poets, etc., right? Coming out of that, when basically the right lost the war on, you know, communism as this big boogeyman, what they did was they changed it to a war on queer people teaching their children, right? So this idea that, um, you know, some of your, their teachers are, are, you know, are gay and they're going to convert our children to gay. What we have seen um, historically is that this idea of innocent white children has always been weaponized to really defeat uh, what become dog whistle politics. The idea of innocent white children is used to commit violence against other groups. The idea of innocent white children is used to suppress uh, uh, power from other groups, to uh, suppress votes from other groups. Mm. And what you see here is really, you know, what Anita Bryant did in the 80s in terms of, you know, the Republicans are, um, they're not down in Senate, but they're, they're down in terms of what they feel are their real brass rings. And what you see is that they are using this as their rallying point to get to the polls because it has worked in their playbook many times before. There was no sort of queer crisis of, of gay people trying to convert anyone mm -hmm. in the 80s. And yet the idea of, you know, but they're going to, you know, what about the children? Yeah. This has always, always worked for them. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a way to explain it so that people would be like, oh, it's not like what the Republicans are saying? Because I feel like it's just yeah. totally been mis- um, yeah, well, explained, absolutely. So, that's the word. There are really great texts on critical race theory. So sort of the grandfather of critical race theory is Derek Bell. He was 
uh, one of my favorite scholars. He was a law professor at Harvard Law. Darren Bell was so about it, you know, straight black man. He said, look, I'm about to resign because they do not tenure black women. And if you don't think that hit, that energy hits with me, yes, it does. So Darren Bell um, is the, and there are quite a few other scholars associated with this. Um, uh, uh, I mean, really, I can, you know, we can ramble off the law professor. What they were doing is they were saying that the law basically has, you know, the law is a, is a, is a technology in a sense, right? The law has apparatus. It has a sort of juridical landscape for what you can and cannot do in it. And what you have to do in the law is you have to basically use legal theory to change the frame about interpretation and what the law can do. So critical race theory was about acknowledging that, like, look, the law actually has real blind spots around mm-hmm. race because the law looks for discrimination in these really blatant ways. Right. Like, well, you know, was there a racial epithet used? Right. That's sort of our litmus paper test for does, does discrimination occur? You know, did someone call someone an N-word? And what they were saying was there's all these other ways in which race comes to play in a system that would otherwise call itself colorblind. And, of course, we know that's a fallacy. So critical race theory is a number of schools of, uh, of, of basically of, of theories that come into this big umbrella tent, including things like stop interpreting sort of uh, case law and case law history as consistently being sort of um, progressive. Right. There's this idea. Uh, they have a term for it in law in which you can look at the law. like, Oh, well, things just continue to get better. Right. The law just continues to get more and more just. And actually what we see in the law is there are huge set like Roe v. Wade. There are huge setbacks and rollbacks from Roe v. Wade. Right. So it's a way of understanding the law as a more accurate sort of technology than the sort of narratives that um, that those in the profession often have about it. That's what critical race theory really came out of. Okay, so Saida, I think we're going to keep you on for for our our next segment because I, I, for me, it's always that young kids of color, black or brown, learn about race from the moment they probably pop out the uterus. Right. And so for me, I, I want to know, well, what's the big deal about little white kids finding out the actual history of this country? Yeah. So we're going to talk about that coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with Saida Grundy, Assistant Professor of Sociology and African American Studies at Boston University, as we continue talking about critical race theory. Yeah, and I think the question on on everyone's mind is how young is too young to learn about race, right? And I always think about how I learned about race at such a young age, like most black and brown kids in this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the third grade, I was called the N-word, and that mm-hmm. was a pivotal moment for me. And so for me, it's it's why are we so afraid that ki- children shouldn't know the, this, the real mm-hmm. history that has taken place in this country? So that's the thing. We're clearly not afraid because we teach them who Thomas Jefferson is. We teach them who George Washington is. But we're only teaching them from the scope of what serves white interest right Mm -hmm. so it's like it's like if you're saying you don't want this stuff taught in class that's odd because they clearly know the civil war happened so but this is the thing so remember when we talked about you know uh there there are often backlashes to these points in black advancement and you know part of what black lives matter has done is it creates in white minds that there's a point of black advancement there you know carol anderson one of my favorite historians wrote this whole book called called out called white backlash right or white lash even and so what you have right now is a backlash to Black Lives Matter, just like 
coming out of that Civil War era, we had a neo-Confederacy in which the daughters of the Confederacy, the reason we have these Confederate monuments, the reason we have uh, the type of curriculum that says that, you know, uh, African enslaved people were, quote unquote, workers or that slavery wasn't that bad. The reason we have a mythologized, propagandized version of our text now in these curricula is because there was a concerted effort 30, 50 years after the Civil War to reteach that history mm, of the Civil War and to yeah. say this is a war of Northern aggression, right? This is, you know, the South was just innocent in this, and, you know, and they were just in with states, right? Those things are all myths. So there's always been this tug of war, um, particularly in school curriculums, because they are such a key point of propagandization for people who are on the right. I mean, look, if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to say, um, you know, well, this is just about this stuff not being taught. That's clearly not the case. It's also very clear that we're catering to the to the interests of white parents and their yeah. feelings. Yeah, right? and their so fear. It, it's really, yeah, exactly. It's really, it's never been about, you know, well, how does it feel to be taught about the Civil War as a black kid? Yeah. How does it feel to be taught that you're somehow rendered invisible in the history of this country? How does it feel that your only role was as someone who was docile, apparently, in our history books, or that slavery is rendered to a footnote? That's never the question. Yeah. The, you know, the, 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 what it's always become is a way of controlling that narrative. And controlling yeah. that narrative is, you know, this is not a, a sideline. This is a stage one centering game in how this country maintains power. This is why it was so important coming out of the Civil War for the South to rewrite the books, which they literally did. So, Saida, we're wrapping up. Can we have, like, 30 seconds? Like, what, what is your take on what should be done so to take control of this narrative? Um, to take control of this narrative? Local politics. Local politics. Local politics. Your school board is a local organization. That's what my 30 seconds is. Okay. <laughs> you change your school board, you change what's in your school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was Saida Grundy, Assistant Professor of Sociology and African American Studies at Boston University. Love having you on. Hope to have you back very soon. So good. Bye, guys. Bye. Well, next up, we've got What's Trending This Hour, and we'll be talking about uh, how you can heal your pandemic trauma with kink. Ooh. That and more next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yep, we're back and more music coming up right here on Channel Q. But speaking of music, we've got former Fifth Harmony uh, singer and star Lauren Haregi joining us at 4.35 p.m. Pacific, 7.35 p.m. Eastern to talk about her new uh, debut solo EP. And uh, she's, of course, part of the community. She talks about how she brings in her identity into her music and just how she's really blossomed in this new phase of her life. Really cool stuff. So stick around for that. Plus, Hollywood exes are going at it on social media. Uh, More in the T-Report in a moment. What went down? But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden, and Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC, are testifying today in front of the Senate Health Committee about the Biden administration's COVID-19 response and what next steps can be taken. And this is when he got dragged by Senator Rand Paul. Until you expect, accept responsibility, we're not going to get anywhere right. close to trying to prevent another lab leak of this dangerous sort of experiment. You won't admit that it's dangerous, and for that lack of judgment, I think it's time that you resign. Thank you, Senator Paul, and I would like um, to give the time to Dr. Fauci. Yeah, well, there were so many things that are egregious misrepresentation here, uh, Madam Chair, 
that I, I don't think I'd be able to refute all of them, but just a couple of them for the listens to hear for. You have said that I am unwilling to take any responsibility for the current pandemic. I have no responsibility for the current pandemic. The current pandemic. I mean, it was really sad to watch this. Yeah, he looked like he was being bullied. And this is someone who's been in service doing what he's doing for so many years. And he is, like, I believe, uh, looking out for uh, for all of Americans and doing the best he can do. And I, as we all know, the person that we've all asked to resign when he was in charge, and he didn't, and he um, still hasn't even admitted to losing the presidency, I think Trump needs to take some responsibility for having been part of this. And by the way, all those Republican senators who also continue to push conspiracy theories you know, against the vaccine, against masks and social distancing. Where's them? Where are they taking responsibility? Right. Just a bunch of people pointing fingers at each other with no action. It's really sad. Uh, now, employers in the private sector will have two months to ensure their workers are fully vaccinated or tested weekly under a new federal regulation detailed today that will affect more than two thirds of the country's workforce. This is pretty big news. Any employer failing to meet the requirements by January 4th could face nearly $14,000 in fines for each employee who isn't in compliance. Employees who are not fully vaccinated will be responsible for covering the cost of their own weekly testing. Employers will be required to provide paid time off for workers to get vaccinated and recover from any side effects starting December 5th, the same day when unvaccinated employees will need to wear masks in the workplace. I mean, they should have implemented this paid time off for vaccinations from the beginning. So, yeah, that was a misstep. But it'll be interesting to see the pushback around this because... We're seeing the pushback from individuals. Uh, I don't even know what's going to happen when employers start really enforcing this nationwide. And finally, Jason Bowles and Robert Gorenz, the attorneys for Rust Armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. Rust is, of course, the movie that Alec Baldwin was in where he um, shot... The uh, the cinematographer there um, in this really unfortunate, tragic incident. Well, they spoke on today to offer a new timeline about how a live round got on set, claiming it could have been sabotage. They said, I believe that somebody who would do that would want to sabotage the set, want to prove point, want to say that they're disgruntled, they're unhappy. This comes from attorney Jason Bowles. And we know that people had walked off the set the day before. Wow. So that's a new narrative coming out of this whole thing that was what's trending this hour what's happening in entertainment news ryan oh my god another reason to hate chris pratt i'm gonna give you one it's time for the tea report those pop culture stories trending right now you know chris pratt marvel superstar did one workout and now he thinks he's too hot he divorced Anna Ferris. Um, has a new wife. He's a Bible thumping Christian, and he's also um, a Republican, from what we all know as well. Either way, he um, Anna Ferris was trending on Twitter as people show love for her after Chris Pratt praised his new wife in an Instagram post, saying this quote: "She's giving me an amazing life, a gorgeous, healthy daughter, and." I'm just going to put a pause right there. People were triggered by a gorgeous, healthy daughter because Anna Ferris has been open about her son's uh, Jack's health issues. And this is the son that she's had with Chris Pratt. And so it's starting to feel a little intentional to have put that 
in there, it's kind of unnecessary, right? Uh, it feels like it could be a jab on the other side of it. It could be just like a lot of people say when they have a kid and they're just healthy, you're like, I'm so happy we just have a healthy child. But yeah, it could be a jab to the fact that you have another child that isn't. Adding that word in. When you have very that, triggering. When you have a child that has kind of like not special needs, but health issues. Yeah, of course. And you're you're cognizant that. of words like healthy. Yeah. And so you the reason why it seems so fake is because Chris Pratt was with Anna Ferris in his quote unquote ugly days. He got hot, got himself some new money and a new job, and then dumped her, and then got with this lady, and now he has this beautiful life, which is fine, but he's also, like, we know he's also the worst. And so, I don't know. He doesn't, out of respect just for his kid's mother, I wouldn't have done that. That's awful. Yeah, you could just say this person's lovely and thank you for being I don't even care what he would have said. Anyway, I got to tell you this as we're getting out of the D report. Uh, Channel Q and the Morongo Casino Resort and Spa are kicking off Palm Springs Pride Weekend with our first annual Divas in the Desert Drag Show Galore. It's hosted by Channel Q's AJ Gibson and Michaela Gordon and starring drag diva Rosemary Galore and friends. Plus, honey, guess what? This is a free event. I got to put all the emphasis on F-R-E-E. You don't got to pay no money at the door. And the first 25 people to arrive get their first drink free. So literally, join us tonight, November 4th from 8 to 11 p.m. in the drum room at the Morago Casino Resort and Spa and kick off Palm Springs Pride with Channel Q and the true queens of the desert. For all the details, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com. I mean, if you're looking for somewhere free to party and get a drink, are you kidding me? Head over to the Morongo Casino and party with us. Speaking of partying with us, we're getting into the world of kink in a moment. We're going to be talking about how to heal our pandemic trauma and how some folks are saying you can do it with kink. But first, we're going to be talking about our own experience with kink. What? That's next. All right. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. It's one thing falling in love with a house, and quite another navigating the world of negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. Guidance from an agent who's a Realtor can make all the difference, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're talking about how kink can heal you. And in a moment, we, we're going to be having a sex and relationships focused a therapist who uh, deals with kink as we feel. Stephanie Gerlich, who we love. But first, we wanted to get into our own experiences with kink. Get personal now here on the show. Now tell me we're going to do that, by the way. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> You're not on Candid Camera. You're on Candid Radio. 
So it's a kink radio. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. That was an entryway for you. (laughs) So literally. (laughs) So, I mean, for me, I don't think I've ever. I mean, I don't. I'm not against kink, but I I've never been that person. I don't know what what would you even consider kink? Because I feel like there's a spectrum. Well, uh, kink as a practice. According to this article, it helps ties to LGBTQ plus community, uh, help has deep ties to LGBTQ plus communities like homosexuality. And honestly, King's capacity is has I've always known it to be kind of like BDSM practitioners. Um, There's a lot of things that can kind of fall into the kink category, whether it kind of be like self-harm and are things like sub and dom cultures. And you can also work through a lot of things. So a lot of practitioners uh, use kink to process self-harm, abuse, or sexual assault. Um, According to like Mike.com, they say unlike traumatizing experiences where people aren't able to control what happens to their bodies and mind, Mm -hmm. kink is all about creating a space where choice matters, which is really nice and interesting. Um, I love, yeah, I I think that's really interesting. And actually, you know, what has been coming up in my my own community recently, Shabari. It's a form of... What's your community? What is that Well, the cis-hetero community. Oh, okay. A lot of women, I know, cis-hetero women, Uh have been experimenting with this. And there's been a lot of... What is it? um, Shibari, it's a form of bondage using ropes and originating in Japan. And it actually is used for therapy. It's not just sexual. It could lead to intimacy. Or it could lead to, like, it's, you know, you get tied up and it's about letting go and acceptance and feeling Mm -hmm. what it is to be held and all that. Yeah, like, for me, I'm not, I've never been one to kink shame anyone. I think everyone's kinks, whether it's, like, what you're into, um, even if there is, if it's harming someone, there has to be, I think, the line that comes through with kink that's so important, the key to it, is consent. Yeah, It's a consensual experience. It's a consensual experience between two parties or more where you are all saying, okay, we agree to these terms, we agree to these moments, and this is what we're working on. Mm-hmm. Anything that is considered a kink that is like, not navigating in the world of consent and is harmful and is hurting folks, that's a problem. That's an issue. For me, I haven't really, I think I have like certain kinks and I have certain things that I'm into, um, but I find them to be private with the partner that I want to experience that with. And I think um, as we're having more of these conversations and even in the queer space, we've seen people talk about the leather community and them not being mm-hmm. a part shouldn't be a part of pride in and how it's too much and people are like policing kink in a in a in a sense of not even celebrating it because a lot of times kinks open up the door to sex positivity in ways that really help normalize things and really help move people and narratives and communities forward yeah. um and oftentimes it is only looked down upon. It's judged because it's not the quote-unquote norm situation, and I think that shouldn't be a thing. For me, I like to keep that stuff private and talk about it, you know, with my partner that I choose to, right? Um, But I think kink can really, especially with the vulnerability that comes with it, can really shift... Uh, and heal you in, in in ways that are important. Totally, and I think even if you're if you're not into it or makes you uncomfortable, and that's fair, it's also an opening to understand like why. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we will be continuing this conversation next, but we're going to be talking about how actually kink can heal our pandemic trauma. And Stephanie Gerlich, who's like an expert on this, is going to be telling us more after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. 
A lot of us are trying to figure out how to heal our pandemic trauma, and some are choosing kink. How does it help, you might ask? Well, Stephanie Gerlich is back with us, a sex and relationships-focused kink-affirming therapist, award-winning author of The Leather Couch, clinical practice with kinky clients. Thanks, Stephanie, as always, for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we couldn't think of a better expert for this one. Uh, (laughs) I love this topic. Yeah, so let's talk about how uh, kink has helped people, including during this time. Yeah, so I think it's really important to start by saying that, you know, kink itself is not therapy, right? Mm. But elements of kink can be really therapeutic, especially for people with trauma, because it is such a sensory experience. And it lets people kind of take um, sensations, feelings that they've associated with negative experiences in their life and and put that into a new and different and and perhaps safer and more fun context for themselves and for their partners. Interesting. So I guess in the in the ways that if kink isn't therapy, then how does kink kind of open up this world of like healing? Um, The idea of catharsis is Mm. a huge part of it. This idea of sometimes we are experiencing such intense emotions that having a physical outlet for that feels very healing for people. And then especially for trauma survivors, sometimes being able to take those traumatic experiences and to maybe take elements of those and reenact them in ways that they have control over and that they feel safe in can be a really helpful way for them to process those intense negative experiences that they've been through. So in those ways, um, kink play can be really healing. Yeah. And can you talk about shibari? Because a lot of people I've been hearing about it from and and that it's not being used just for sex, but actual um, healing of trauma and anxiety. Absolutely. So for those who don't know, shibari is a form of elaborate Japanese rope work um, where people are, are tied up in these beautiful, intricate knot work patterns. And I like to compare the feeling a lot to think about a baby that's being wrapped up in blankets and swaddled. We are kind of wired in our bodies to feel comforted by that sort of tight holding sensation. And so for a lot of people, shibari gives them that same experience. They take a great deal of comfort in that tightness that comes from the rope work. Um, it's, it's pretty similar to using a weighted blanket, actually. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. I, I no. mean, it seems really. Here's the thing. Let's have, be honest here, because I think a lot of times there's so much judgment around kink and having certain kinks where oftentimes I'm like, if you want to explore that with the partner, how can you bring that up without automatically feeling like judged from either their response or just the idea of the judgment that's surrounded by kink? That's such an important question. Having those conversations with our partners can be really scary. Uh, That's actually part of what I'm writing about in my next book is navigating those conversations. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I encourage my clients to do is to start by not necessarily talking about it in terms of kink or BDSM, but ask your partner questions about what they want to feel during sex, not just physically, but emotionally. What sort of sensation do you like? And what sort of emotional reaction do you want to have? 
And when you start talking about it like that, it becomes much easier for people to introduce, say, wanting to be tied up or play around with shibari, to use Shira's example, rather than just going, okay, there's this kinky thing I've been reading about, and I kind of want to try it with you. When you start from what do you want to feel and how can I help you get there, that's a much different conversation on the same topic. What do people need to do to maybe get themselves or their partners out of the place of thinking of kink as just, it's uh, it's not just sex, but actually in the healing space? So the most important thing to understand is that kink is always relational. Mm. It's sometimes sexual. <laughs> there are people that express their, their kink through their relationship models, through their interactions, their conversations, the way that they engage with their partners whether or not they're having sex. And I think recognizing that kink can be a relationship model as opposed to just a way of having creative intercourse is an important mindset shift for people. It speaks a lot to sort of that embarrassment and shame that Ryan, you mentioned, and it also lets us understand why this might be a really positive thing, not only for ourselves as an individual, but for our relationship with our partners as well. Yeah, it's almost like everything's so out of your control. This could be something, according to this Mike.com article, I love what they say, and you're in this. Um, This reclamation, oh, you're not in this. Okay, (laughs) sorry. Um, This reclamation of both body and power can be an important opportunity for self-actualization and transformation, which I just love that statement. Yeah, the, the ability to take control or to give over control and to know that you are going to have your limits respected within that space Mm. can be really freeing, especially for people that maybe didn't have their limits respected in the past. To be able to have those experiences and know that you are able to just let go and trust because what is off limits has been pre-negotiated is a really powerful experience. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for breaking it all all down. You always have the answers. That was Stephanie Gerlich, a sex and relationships-focused kink-affirming therapist. Check out her award-winning book, The Leather Couch, Clinical Practice with Kinky Clients. Thanks again. Anytime, guys. Well, next up, the outside the box way this math teacher is finding new students and making tons of money. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Yes, we're back, and one teacher is finding innovative ways to reach more students. This Taiwanese teacher is teaching on none other than the platform Pornhub. He's stripping down, according to this article, I'm going to give them credit for writing this because they're just so good, stripping down hardcore calculus and (laughs) reaching more students. So this is a really interesting way to teach. He has attracted 1.9 million views. He has like 7,000 subscribers. He uh, says his motto is play hard, study hard. Lots of twists here. And he said, I knew this day would come. People would get intrigued if you do special things in special places. Okay. I don't know if this is like inappropriate. This is college, right? You said? It's a teacher. I mean, so it's whoever wants to... So it's not, you a, know. Oh, so but he doesn't teach Whoever at a university. Whoever wants to watch can watch. But does he teach at a university? It. I don't know if it says where he teaches. Because my thing a is Taiwanese math teacher. Because my thing is, if he's a math teacher and he's like teaching to middle schoolers, feels a little inappropriate. Well, I, he, yeah, maybe if his regular day job was middle school and he did this on the side to reach more. What is he people. teaching? Math. 
college, and, yeah, I asked myself, where do I find my target students? Say college oh. boys, and the answer popped out of adult video platforms, which is sad because what about the everyone else? Why only college boys? I, that's what I said yesterday. Actually, because my thing is, Everyone watches a little porn, no matter what your gender is. Um, and I feel like this is a really interesting thing where people like on TikTok would do like, you know, videos or t- little lessons and like it just kind of becomes like this really major thing. Yeah. Um, but doing it on Pornhub seems distracting because on the side, it's going to be all these porn clips. And why would I pay attention to your math when there's porn clips happening? Maybe this turns someone on. Five right. plus five. Well, if you have like a, a kinky professor, like professor, yeah. Well, fantasy. No, if uh, you see him, I mean, no offense. He <gasps> did you just call him ugly? He's, he wears a sweatshirt, glass. I mean, this is kind of maybe sexy to some. Folks. It's a professor. Professors aren't dressed to the nines. I'm just saying. He actually said that other adult websites weren't interested in his fully clothed content, but he said this is a top secret business strategy. What can I? What I can tell you is, um, it will no longer be me in the videos, offering a seductive hint about his evolving strategy. What is he going to do? He's going to bring, I think he's going to bring some people into this. I this mean, is getting interesting. That, that's the only way you can make math interesting is probably like multiple people's doing other sexual acts while teaching math. But how are you going to oh, learn man, You can add. The more people you add turns into more of a math equation. <laughs> yeah, like he uses people you know? to show the math problems. Yes, this is major algebra so, with body parts. <laughs> he has made almost $270,000 a year through his paid classes. That's wild. Good for him. Definitely doing better than other teachers. I mean, we all know how much, how much schools pay these days. So maybe this is the future. Well, next up, we are definitely shifting gears here. So excited to have Fifth Harmony's Lauren Haregi joining us. 30 minutes. It's a great conversation. So just hang out, won't you? And we just put a tease on LGT Show on social media. If you want to go check out a little teaser before okay. the full interview. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back and lots more music coming up. But also, Lauren Haregi is joining us in how long? 15 minutes? Oh, my God. It's already happening. We spoke to her earlier this week. And let me tell you, she is just so nice. And she's really gone through a transformation. It was very honest about yes. what she's been through. I know, right? And it's just, I don't know, it's just one of those things that um, I'm happy that she trusted us to be so vulnerable and, and and just, you know, transparent with us in a way. Yep. So stick around for that. Again, 15 minutes right here on Let's Go There. But first, let's get into some What's Training This Hour, a potential treatment for HIV that would functiona- uh, functionally cure the virus will soon begin human trials. In September, the FDA granted Excision Biotherapeutics approval to start testing their HIV treatment, known as EBT-101, in volunteers with HIV. The tech, which was discovered at Temple University in Philadelphia, uses gene editing to cut out people pieces of human DNA, which researchers hope will work on the HIV genome to stop it from mutating in the body. Pretty amazing stuff. Now, top officials at the World Health Organization said today that Europe has seen more than a 50% increase in coronavirus cases in the last month, making it the epicenter of the pandemic despite having vaccines. Uh, WHO Emergencies Chief Dr. Michael Ryan said there may be plenty of vaccine available, but uptake of vaccine has not been equal. He called for European authorities to close the gap in vaccinations. 
however, who Director General Tedros Adhanomon uh, said countries that have immunized more than 40% of the population should stop and instead donate their doses to developing countries that haven't yet offered their citizens a first dose. So that's uh, interesting that, you know, and on one side, they're saying more people need to get the vaccine. And then mm-hmm. on the other side, they're saying, you know, if you've done enough of these vaccines, give it to another country in need. Yeah, I agree. Now, news coming out of Tennessee. Civil rights groups today filed a lawsuit against a Tennessee law that restricts transgender students' participation in sports, arguing that the law is discriminatory and unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. The law, which took effect in March on the same day Republican Governor Bill Lee signed it, requires student athletes and their parents to prove the sex they were assigned at birth, either through an original birth certificate or some other form of evidence. As a result, it bars transgender students from playing on sports teams that align with their gender identities. So uh, Lambda Legal is fighting this. The ACLU is also fighting this. And we'll definitely keep you updated as this continues. It's just really unfortunate to continue to have to report about these stories, to be honest. And that was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, trigger warning. This tea report's a little heavy um, because it's involving Alyssa Milano. And no. she says everything. Um it's time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So Alyssa Milano's experience with childbirth uh, triggered memories of like pa- her past like sexual assault that she revealed. Oh, wow. um, she says after going through therapy after giving birth to uh, Milo and remembering that one moment of feeling like I was being held down and had things being done to me that I don't want. Mm. Uh, didn't want to me was very reminiscent of being sexually assaulted. She talked. I mean, she literally compared giving birth uh, to her being sexually oh. assaulted. I was like, what? So so sad. So she was on People's wow. uh, podcast, Me Becoming Mom, and she said it just triggered all of these memories that I uh, that. I thought I had dealt with. She explained that PTSD from sexual assault has a way of living inside of you forever. Um, she says, quote, I think anyone who has dealt with trauma has the mem- the moments where you're like, yeah, I'm fine. I've dealt with that versus the moments where you go, oh, no, I didn't. I just tried to tuck it away so no one could see them or I couldn't see them or feel them anymore. She, of course, hmm. really felt that when she was giving birth to her daughter. That's wild. Which I'd never thought about that. That is well, so interesting you know, and awful. Yeah, childbirth, uh, saying, I'm saying this from someone who hasn't given birth yet, um, is a very traumatizing thing to your body. So yeah. it isn't surprising that it would bring up other things. Because when you're going through pain, it can trigger other pain you've been through, including when it's like so intimate with your body. Yeah. It's, it's really... I don't know. I'm I'm happy that she feels in a place where she can talk about something oh, yeah. like that because that has to take a lot to talk mm. about. Uh, she also noted that the triggering moments of childbirth could also contribute to postpartum anxiety. She says, I got to uh, think that because it felt that way for me, it must have felt that way for other women. I wonder how much of my postpartum anxiety was due to, of course, hormones and all of the things, but also feeling that I that felt also that feeling that felt like I wasn't in control, you know? Mm, yeah, that's true. You're kind of in this very surrender state. 
Yeah. yeah. So if you want to know more of what she said, head over to WeirdChannelQ.com. And of course, we have about 30 minutes to our Lauren Hareggy interview. But before we head out of here, I got to tell you about tonight and where you should be. Mm. Because Channel Q and the Morongo Casino Resort and Spa are kicking off Palm Springs Pride Weekend with our first annual Divas in the Desert Drag Show Galore. Okay. Hosted by Channel Q's AJ Gibson and Michaela Gordon and starring drag diva Rosemary Galore and Friends. And this is a free event. I have to continue to say that. You're getting all this entertainment for free. And the first 25 people to arrive also get their first drink for free. So join us this Thursday, today, tonight, from 8 to 11 p.m. in the drum room at the Morago Casino Resort and Spa. And kick off Palm Springs Pride with us in the true queens of the desert. Head over to We Are Channel Q for more details. Love it. All right. The celebration continues here on the show. We've got former Fifth Harmony star Lauren Haragi joining us. Uh, what what time is it at? 4.35 p.m. Pacific. 7.35 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So hang out on the show. We're going to be celebrating her debut EP and so much more coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. So Rollins College in Florida has unveiled an enormous statue of the beloved children's TV host, Fred Rogers, who graduated from the college 70 years ago. Wow. The bronze statue is over seven feet tall, weighs more than 3,000 pounds, so I don't think anyone's going to be moving that. It depicts the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood star and his Daniel Tiger puppet pal surrounded by children. And he's wearing one of his iconic cardigans, a pair of sneakers that he changed into at the start of each episode. The statue is called A Beautiful Day for a Neighbor and was created by British sculptor Paul Day and... Yeah, it includes lyrics from the series theme song, Won't You Be My Neighbor. It's just really sweet. Oh. What a great reminder. I know. This is good. Have you seen this documentary? It's so good. No. Definitely recommend that. I if you're not a Mr. Seen this. Rogers fan. No, I, I mean, I grew up with Mr. Rogers. Also, like, you know, did you see the Tom Hanks one? I did not see that movie because I was like. I was wild that he was like, uh, I think uh, Tom Hanks was nominated for supporting actor when I was like, oh, I thought the movie was about him, starring him, but it was about the journalist doing the yeah, story. Yeah, it was a pretty good movie as well. Anyway, uh, a good reminder about the legacy of Mr. Rogers. So, congratulations. He, he gets our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Continuing to make a big difference. And I actually, you want to hear something funny? I watched Daniel Tiger, the animation, because there's an animated Mr. Rogers now. And oh, there is? Yeah, on the weekend one day, I watched one of the episodes. Oh. And it was so funny. For kids, by kids, huh? Exactly. It's right for you. <laughs> it's for everyone, actually. It's all about emotional intelligence and being good to ourselves and each other. It's okay. If it's, I, I watch plenty of kids' shows. You do? It's totally fine. Oh, yeah. I love that. Why right. not? Well, that does it for our show today, but we are back tomorrow. Guess what? We are doing our show live from Palm Springs, Palm Springs Pride. We're going to be talking to Mayor Christy Holstedge and so much more. So, yeah, definitely tune in tomorrow. And if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Now stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris. After this, he's exploring asexuality and sex after 50. That's next.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on and podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation. Find your next credit card or loan for a big purchase and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. 